Hey Fresh Capital listeners, in this episode we discuss Oracle Corporation, one of the world's biggest tech companies that you might not have heard about. We give some really useful analogies for how software as a service companies operate and what database management really means. There's a lot of technical terms that we break down and make sure that you can understand how this business operates. Keep listening and enjoy. Welcome to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn about companies and investing. My name is Dan and I'm joined by my good friend, Albert. Albert, how are you going? Dan, I am pretty tired to be honest. I've um, spent the whole weekend and Friday, I took a work off, um, moving houses and it's finally done. It's Sunday afternoon as we record this, but yeah, finally done. All the boxes have been moved in, the furniture has been moved in, have been packed properly, but um, at least our old apartment's clean and all the stuff's in our new apartment. So you could be happy with that. Got to be happy with that. I hear there were some uh, moving problems. We had this discussion a couple of months ago when I was moving. Uh, I did that without any help from movers. You did it with movers. Have you reconsidered your position on whether to pay for movers or not? Look, I'm probably going to continue paying for movers, but um, I probably won't get them from a listed marketplace business um, that recently just launched on the ASX. So I don't want to name and shame yet, but um, Tasker in the air has not been great this weekend for me. Well, it wasn't the platform. It was the people you hired off the platform. I'm sure that's what they would say. (laughs) Yeah, I think this is, I mean, we were just talking about this, but I think um, the platform's kind of moved away from you know, individuals who are looking for a bit of side hustle to now, you know, commercial organizations using it as another sales channel. But um, I guess you get what you pay for. You get what you pay for and uh, you can always leave a bad review, Albert. Um, But this episode, we're going to be discussing the pitch for Oracle Corporation. As with every week, we'll start off with a summary of the business. We'll then discuss what is driving its revenue trends in the industry and competitors. We'll finish the episode with our overall verdict on the company. Now, Albert, I know you sort of work in the SaaS, the software as a service service industry. You've heard of Oracle, some of what you do comes up against them. But, you know, five years ago, did you know what Oracle was? I must confess I didn't. Yeah, actually, I did. My first kind of brush with Oracle was I don't know if you did IT law, Dan, but um, a lecturer who taught a course called IT law at ANU um, had sold his business that he started called Rule Base to Oracle, sold it for about $50 million, um, which is a pretty nice clip. It automated regulation decision-making for uh, businesses. So that was kind of my first brush with Oracle in that course. So for our listeners, Oracle might be one of the biggest tech companies that you haven't heard about. They provide database technology and enterprise resource planning software to enterprises around the world. You know, those are some pretty generic terms which we'll break down as we go throughout the episode. But, uh, you know, as a, as a baseline summary, they were founded in 1977. They pioneered the first relational database management system. Uh, today, they have over 430,000 customers in 175 countries in the world. Most of the top 
you know, listed companies in the various countries around the world use Oracle in one way or another. Albert, what do you want to dig in first about what, what Oracle does? Yeah, I think I, I always see Oracle as what I like to call kind of a full stack enterprise business. Like they call themselves an ERP technology business, um, but what they offer is a range of software products and services um, to large businesses. They generally play kind of at the top end of mid-market or kind of the top end of town. So they're really looking to service really large major organizations like your major banks um, you know, big consumer companies and things like that. So, you know, a while ago, our first episode, we did Zero, who predominantly play in the small to medium business market, like Oracle probably play towards the other scale of that, which is really large organizations. So when I say full stack or technology enterprise, it means they sell, you know, broad um, SaaS products, so software, as well as the traditional on-premise software, so the software they install onto your computer or your servers. Um, a hybrid of the two, so, you know, premise and SaaS. Um, they also sell um, PaaS, that's platform as a services, and infrastructure as a service, IaaS, um, alongside their SaaS businesses. And Dan, I know we've spoken about SaaS at a pretty good depth on this podcast, but um, PaaS and IaaS, something that we don't talk about um, com- very often, um, so I might quickly just break that down for our listeners. Um, as someone who has been trained in Microsoft Azure, I feel like <laughs> I can probably give a pretty good example of that. Um, so across the technology stack, you've got SaaS, PaaS, IaaS. So if I just kind of think about these three things um, as a kind of like in pizza terminology, given we just did Domino's. So um if you manage um, a software as a service business um, across the range of all the things you need to make a pizza, like an oven, electricity, gas, um, you know, the pizza base, um, you know, friends to talk to and eat pizza with, um, you you have to manage that for a customer. And then the only thing the customer really manages is, you know, the conversation or the process of like organizing your time to eat the pizza. Like they do all the front end things. Uh, as a platform as a service business, you enable customers to then um, host an application on your technology. So using the pizza example, you provide the oven, electricity, fire, and then a pizza base. And then the uh, customer would then put the toppings on the base, which would be um, the application. The furthest thing down the stack um, is what we call infrastructure as a service, IaaS. And in this example, you only just provide infrastructure. So in the case of you know, this pizza example, you just use oven and electricity and then provide everything else. In the case specifically for Oracle, they would provide kind of cloud hosting servers um, and virtual machines. And then the customer would then manage everything else. So the platform and the software. So Oracle kind of play in that entire stack of business from traditional hardware that, you know, predominantly technology businesses used to play in, infrastructure, platforms, and software. And then they wrap services around each of those things. Okay. So just to make sure that I'm getting this analogy, uh, IaaS, the infrastructure as a service is, you know, you get the equipment to make the pizza 
the platform as a surface pass that is you know you get the infrastructure the ovens etc but you might also get the pizza base um, some of the other things you need to have a pizza party and then the SaaS software as a service is essentially the whole deal you get the pizza you get the toppings you get the friends coming over as well it is everything that you need for a pizza party wrapped up in one is that right yep yep that's correct <laughs> i think where i sort of see this fit in is just thinking what is data and why do you need a database um, every company everywhere produces data what does that data look like? You know, at its most basic level, it's, it's think of like your financials. Um, I have an invoice, which I bill to a customer. They provide me some money. There's a paper trail, trail there where Dan has paid $10 to Albert. Now that's a form of data. How would you then at the end of the year collate all of that data? Well, if you're dealing with paper copies, you'd bring all of the, the stack of invoices to a desk, and then you'd go through them all and maybe enter them into an Excel spreadsheet, sum them so you have the total amount of sales for the year. And well, what do you do with that data? You might provide it to your boss, you know, your manager, your director of the company, and then they'll um, you know, do their financial reporting obligations. Really, really basic data management. What if your boss comes back to you though and says, how many of these invoices were paid within the first 30 days? And you go, well, all right, I'm going to have to look through those invoices again, and I'm going to have to log into our bank account and cross-reference the dates and sort of check out how that all works out, and I'll add a new column in the Excel spreadsheet. Probably takes you days to, to finish that task. So this idea of data management systems is generally about having all this information in one place, so a platform like Oracle, where with the press of a button or a filter or a few different you know, clicks here or there, you can produce all this different information, such as how many of those invoices were paid within time, how many of them um, you know, were over $100. You can, you can sort of work with data in various ways, which produce better business outcomes for you because your boss might say, oh, this this supplier isn't paying us within time, 90% of the time, let's find a new supplier and that improves your business. So data is, is really useful, but you need a technology, you need products to help you harness it. And that's where Oracle sort of sits um, in its use case. Does that do a good job of summing that up, Albert? Yeah, they're so broad in what they do, but you know, when you think about the broadness of data, yeah, absolutely. And then I think where we go from there is um, different parts of a business where data management is particularly useful. So you have ERP cloud, which is um, enterprise resource planning. You've got HCM cloud, which is Albert, you'll know this one. Human capital management cloud. Yep. Uh, so that's about, you know, staffing, employees, human resources. You've got SCM cloud, which is supply chain management. Um, so you've got all these different um, areas where data plays. And a key word in, in all of those products that I just mentioned of Oracle's is cloud, which might be a good place to turn into next. Albert, how does cloud affect how SaaS businesses operate? 
It's a good question. So, I mean, without cloud, you can't really run a SaaS business. Uh, in order to run, you know, a traditionally a SaaS business, you need to host um, the product in the cloud. Um, when we talk about Oracle being a kind of a full stack technology business, usually if you were to, you know, develop a software product that you sell um, through a subscription method, uh, you either need to have, um, you know, an outsource cloud provider. So usually the people we talk about when we talk about cloud is Amazon. We, you know, we had Chris from Magellan talk about Alphabet and Google Cloud. Um, Alibaba out in Asia, um, you know, is growing. And so what Oracle can do is not only is, does it build uh, SaaS applications and software, it also has kind of the cloud infrastructure we talked about in that pizza example that enables you to do that. So if you've got your own product, you can use Oracle's kind of IaaS and PaaS businesses to run your own, um, you know, enterprise resource planning software. Or if you don't have that, you can use Oracle across all three of those products. Like you have the application and you host it through, um, you know, their infrastructure and their services, and then you can build on top of that on their platform business. So let's take, um, I guess, something I know quite well, um, their human capital management um, cloud business. You know, if you're a really large, say, um, retail business like Woolies or Coles, you know, you've got heaps of staff, you're trying to manage payroll for those staff, uh, you're trying to manage when staff come into the business or not, um, how long they've been in the business, all their employee details. Um, you know, they log all that stuff into what we call a HCM. And usually Oracle is going to be uh, HCM. It's a really popular one. You know, people also talk about SAP or Workday. Um, but what this does is it integrates, and so I'm just going to talk about the use case, the entire employee lifecycle into one piece of software. So as soon as you start um, applying for a job, you'll notice now that it takes you through Oracle or Workday or some sort of login. And then once um, you've created your login, it sends that information back to this application, which then starts to track how you move across the business. So if you're successful, your details are already in the system, then it can track how long you're in the organization, you know, different promotions, your pay, where you live, um, you know, your different uh, performance ratings, etc. up until you finally leave and then it'll manage, you know, your termination or um, your exit out of the business. So without cloud, um, you know, these businesses can't really operate um, because Oracle relies on these cloud services and other cloud vendors or other cloud businesses rely on cloud vendors like Oracle. Um, but Oracle's kind of competitive advantage in cloud and cloud applications is that it is the full suite, not only applications, but infrastructure along with it. So what I find as a useful analogy for cloud businesses is um, a lot of listeners are probably familiar with Google Docs, Microsoft Word, um, those two different applications. If you think, you know, 10 years ago, what you'd do when you're saving a, a school assignment or something like that is you'd be typing out an essay and then you just save it on your computer. You know, Microsoft has provided you this, the service, the, the application, which is Microsoft Word, but all that information, that data is saved locally on your hard drive. Where we get into the cloud is your Google Doc, where if you've used this for friends or whatever, you have a link where it's saved in your Google Drive. You can share that. Other people can take that link and then you know edit the document themselves. 
So it's in a shared space. It's not saved anywhere on your computer. Um, if you log in to a different computer in Amsterdam, for instance, you could then access that same document. So that's some of the benefits of cloud. And when you apply that to the business, when we're talking about all that information about employees, about financials, et cetera, um, you go from having literally rooms full of databases of computers processing and storing this information at your business site to all of that occurring somewhere else in the world and you having just a laptop, a computer where you can access all that data essentially remotely through the cloud. And one of the major benefits of cloud is that the provider, Oracle in this instance, can constantly update it without you having to change anything on your system. So if you think of it as all locally held, you know, you might have to insert a disk or something to update the software, download it, whatever. You might actually have to change out hardware to improve the performance of it. Um, if there's new security threats, it might be lagging behind. With cloud software, it can literally be updated, you know, every 10 minutes. Um, so if there's new software attacks, malware, etc., performance issues, these can be solved and pushed out by the provider almost instantaneously. So it's it's definitely a more agile to be a consultant. It's an agile form or agile product which can boost performance, um, which is what a lot of businesses are looking for. Albert, what I want to sort of get into next is we mentioned Amazon, we mentioned Microsoft to some of the competitors. What's setting these businesses apart and how does Oracle fit into that space? This is a good question and something I don't uh, fully understand when it comes to differentiation across cloud products. I think where I've landed is uh, a couple things. It's to availability and cost um, of the infrastructure that's associated with the cloud product. So, you know, you were talking about being able to quickly update um, applications because it's cloud-based. You can push through security patches and new features very quickly. You know, uh, on a consumer level, it's really easy just to download the latest update on a phone instead of having to go to an Apple store to install that. Basically the same um, premise. I think the other thing then is, um, you know, you and I are both recording on our computers. If we wanted to add more memory to our computer, we literally have to go to, you know, an Apple store or, um, you know, someone who could do computer repair and have them add more RAM to that computer. Whereas if you spin up virtual machines, um, or you're you know, relying on cloud infrastructure, you can just easily add more memory or add more power to your servers because it's all virtual anyway. Like you just pay for um, allocation of memory or allocation of processing power. So if you need to up that, you can up that really quickly, um, almost instantly to get a performance boost. So that's probably you know, another really major benefit of cloud. So when I dial that back and think about competitive advantage, um, it really comes down to three things when you're talking about cloud businesses, I think. It's like how well that integrates across other cloud platforms. If you're relying on Microsoft Azure, which is Microsoft's cloud business, that really only works or works well with other Microsoft Azure businesses or cloud businesses. So you've got to be built on that Microsoft stack. Um, Google, however, I think is more fungible um, in the stack that it can work with and Amazon being um, you know, not a software business at the moment, um, more of a cloud infrastructure business is a lot more than fungible than 
Google itself. So that's first thing, price-wise, they're probably very similar. Um, and then the third thing is availability of servers. You know, even though you can log into your computer in Amsterdam, if your um, cloud applications are being hosted in Australia, you know, the signal's got to travel from the Netherlands to Australia, which, you know, takes a long time. So you want a lot of servers in different countries. Um, you know, and we've just had this challenge recently at where I work. Um, but, uh, you know, it's pretty easy to spin up new servers with one of these major players. Well, that's an interesting point in terms of speed. And that's, I think, a key differentiator, which we can imagine quite easily. Because if you've ever accessed uh, an Excel spreadsheet, a document which is chocked full of data, like it's megabytes big as a file, and your computer just slows right down and it takes forever for it to process, for the document to open, depending on your computer, you get you know the wheel of death or something like that. That's with you using your home computer. <laughs> to put it you know, not too lightly, you have businesses out there which are crunching data, which has just billions of transactions. You know, you think of some of your big online marketplaces um, that sells, you know, clothes, sells shoes, sells whatever. They are processing thousands of orders every day and accumulating millions of rows of data every day. Imagine opening up that spreadsheet and seeing what happens. You need a lot of processing power behind it. You need a database that can manage that information very well. And as you say, Albert, if you've picked a provider whose database is halfway across the world, that slows you down. And imagine if your work relies upon you opening up a spreadsheet, opening up a document, moving data around or processing in some way. You know, you could be stuck at your desk for 10 minutes waiting for that to load. Just, just think about how you would feel at that desk as your computer's just not working for 10 minutes for that information to load up and then multiply that by, you know, the 100 employees that you have working in your office. It just becomes untenable. And that's a really key differentiating factor. And you might then ask, well, why doesn't every company just have databases set up close to their users? It can be really, really difficult because regulation here is quite new. Governments aren't entirely across it. You have places like Indonesia, which require you to have local databases for all of your information. So that's, you know, a government requirement. They have databases essentially in the country. Other places don't necessarily have that. Uh, if you're Microsoft, and I know that particularly here in Australia, they're pretty well um, integrated into government services. So there you have a client requirement that data would be held on site in Australia. So that's an impetus to, to have data centers set up locally. But, you know, it, it's not easy. It's not cheap. Um, to set these sorts of things up. Um, and you always are dealing with this threat of security. So you, have, you can't do it too quickly. Otherwise, you, you risk that the data is compromised. And a client, once bitten, I think will be pretty hard to get back if you, if you lose their data to one of these breaches, which are becoming more and more common. Yeah, I think we've just spent, you know, 10 minutes riffing about how, um, you know, great cloud is, um, and why it's so important for businesses, especially in today's age. I think if I just tie it back to Oracle, you know, you talked about how Oracle's quite a mature cloud business. We've talked about other cloud businesses on this pod before. Like, do you think cloud, so do you think Oracle is one of the most attractive cloud businesses 
on market right now? In some ways, yes, I do actually. And I've in preparation for this episode, I was looking at quite a few um, interviews with Larry Ellison, one of the founders of Oracle, longtime CEO, um, not anymore. But one of the key things he used to sell his product up until a couple of years ago was he'd say, you know, look at Amazon. They've got Amazon Web Services. They're competing product to Oracle. But for Amazon, you know, the delivery, the marketplace, the service, they use Oracle as their um, as, as their, their cloud system, their data management system. He would point to all these competitors that are built on or if not using Oracle's product itself. And his point was, I think, pretty well made, which is like you have all these competitors, but they still think our product's the best one, which is why they use us. Now, Amazon has since transitioned across to their own service, um, but really that Oracle brand is built on this idea of Google's moving in, Microsoft's moving in, Amazon's moving in, but we've been doing this for 40 years. We know this space better than some of these other companies, which are part logistic companies, part tech companies. We're a database company and we've been doing it well for this long. That I think is their key selling point. It's also what their detractors use to hit them over the head. And without getting into technicalities too much, it's mainly built on this one criticism, which is going back, they built a relational database. It's a specific type of technology uh, and critics will say, while there's been updates and improvements, the bones of that product have remained the same throughout the years. And if you think of something that was built 30, 40 years ago, it obviously was built without an awareness of how cloud works now, how some of the big tech um, evolutions are operating now. And so you have new players coming in who are essentially saying there's a shorter runway with Oracle's relational database system. At some point, our technologies, which are built on you know, object-focused databases, are going to be more fit for purposes for you know this century's needs so that's where the competition is the criticisms of oracle are for me it's quite difficult and this is why i deferred to you uh, off air before we start recording it's hard to tell what will happen to oracle in the future unless you can understand that key difference of is their software model is the bones of their software what it was built on years ago is that going to remain relevant 10, 20 years from now? Because if it is, they are like a market leader. So it, they're going to be fine. But if it isn't, if there will be better products based on a different sort of framework and software, then I think they're in trouble. Mm. And this is actually a really interesting point as well, Dan, because, you know, you were just talking about databases before, you know, thinking about Oracle database versus uh, you know, a business that provides a really specific kind of database. Like we've recently seen the past kind of five-ish years, um, what a lot of people are calling an unbundling of enterprise SaaS. So when I say unbundling, you know, we, we talked about the very start of this podcast, all the things that Oracle does, you know, supply chain, human capital, ERP, customer stuff. Um, right now we've started to see more and more software companies build really niche and specific software that really targets one very specific part of a business, but tries to do that really, really well in order to differentiate itself 
from its competitors. You know, so an example would be, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to use the business I work for, um, but, you know, you can see that there's a lot of really specialist talent acquisition software or there's, you know, really, really specialist, you know, contract management software. Um, you know, in law, I'm sure there's really, really specific, um, you know, e-discovery software, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's um, really specific and niche software that Oracle do across their entire product suite, but don't necessarily do it as well as these providers. And as this unbundling continues, the one of the reasons I'm bearish is, sorry, bearish on Oracle, is that I'm not sure whether they can continue to compete against really niche and differentiated products. Kind of the flip side of this is, you know, everything goes in cycles. If you see an unbundling of software, eventually there's going to be an aggregation of software. And you know who's going to lead the charge if software starts to rebundle and aggregate a business like Oracle, because it's incredibly free cash generating. You know, it's high margin business. Um, you know, they're no longer innovating majorly. They're only really innovating on the fringes. So they're not spending much on R&D. I think when I checked, they were spending like 15% of their revenue in R&D in comparison to like 30 to 40%, which a lot of other tech companies spend. So they don't have all these big costs. So what they can do is once all these niche products are finished or kind of hit maturity in market, they can buy all of those products up to then integrate with Oracle. Um, so depending on how that unbundling, rebundling trend continues, Oracle can really go one way or the other. Just to unpack some of those numbers, you know, financial year 2020 and also 2019, they sat around $39 billion in total revenue. Operating income has sat at about $14 billion, uh, essentially since about 2012, so about nine years ago. So as you say, it's a mature business. Um, some of their operating margins and total revenue has gone up and down a little bit, but their operating income has remained pretty static for a long time now, which is which is great. They've got great numbers. Um, but as you say, it's indicative of them sort of hitting a maturation where they're not, despite what you might think about tech companies, it's not a growth stock. As you say about acquisitions, that has been how they've caught up in recent years to this trend towards cloud. They admit that they were late to the cloud um, bandwagon, essentially. Uh, so they, in 2016, bought NetSuite for $9.3 billion, which is a cloud-based provider of enterprise resource planning software. Uh, down, in, down under in Australian territory, they paid $1.2 billion for Aconex, which is a cloud-based construction project management system. So to catch up uh, in the cloud segment, they've actually bought a lot of companies out to acquire them. And the criticism would be it's because they didn't have the in-house capacities to do it themselves. Um, just getting into your point about aggregation versus disaggregation, a good example would be Zero, which we talked about, which is obviously focusing in on that financial side of record keeping, accounts management, finances, reporting obligations, doesn't deal with your human resources, doesn't deal with your logistics. Um, but would be is a very good product because it only focuses on what it needs to or wants to, which is the financial side of things. Uh, so I can see that happening. I would query though whether the bigger companies, which are Oracle's clients, would want that disaggregation. 
there is an efficiency for the really large players to only have one service provider. Because then when you're dealing with maintenance issues, service issues, you can just go to one place uh, and you just get that service requirement for your business um, at a higher efficiency. So I'm not fully convinced which way Oracle's going, but one of the things I did want to touch on before we finish up, Albert, is just some of the use cases. Um, just to put in the, our listeners' minds a little bit more what Oracle can do for your business. So on the enterprise, re, enterprise resource planning side of things, the ERP, if you think about um, any of your shopping destinations, which might run Oracle, you can have intelligent payment software built in, which based on consumer habits. So if you've got an account with one of these um, marketplaces, it could track you know, what you're spending, what you're buying, and then automate discounts to sort of lure you in to, to you know, it notices that you've been buying some brown shoes, you're really into them. And so it could automate the fact that you will see a 20% discount on a pair of brown shoes based on your past history, based on that data that it's harvested and collected. Super useful for a business to consider. In the supply chain, management side of, of their products, it can analyze your supply chain and perhaps link in with you know, current trends. Is there a disaster? Is there a Suez canal issue where there's a blockage? And it can switch because you'd have multiple contractors or suppliers providing your, your freight management. It could switch options depending on what would be the cheapest at a given time. Automatically, super useful. For the uh, HCM, smart staffing, so you could have a profile of successful applicants based on your past employees that have passed through your business, stayed for a long time, been rated well in performance reviews, and then automate an, in, an indication of whether the new applicant would be a good hire or a bad hire. So these are some of the uses for data which their products um, tend towards. I wouldn't say they do these things flawlessly. But the idea is that these are real value adders for your business and ways of using your data in a way which will enhance your business's performance. Anything to add on that point, Albert? No, nothing at all. I think, you know, as you talk, I was just reflecting on what needs to be true about Oracle in the future to continue growing. And, you know, what you said really resonates is what's going to be Oracle's growth engine? Uh, is it going to be these really specific use cases or kind of, new applications that they're developing um or is it going to be an acquisition um that fuels that um i think to me what oracle really needs to do is it just needs to do something huge similar to salesforce buying slack it just needs to acquire another really big company um to order then be in a really good position as a market leader and aggregator because i don't think they're going to find a growth engine in the same way that Google or Alphabet has cloud or Amazon has AWS um, because it's just so hard to compete. Yeah, I think that is the verdict and I've come around to that point of view as well. I'm glad that you mentioned Salesforce and how they bought into Slack as a, as a growth vehicle. It sounds like that's been Oracle's sort of modus operandi for the last couple of years is acquiring companies to get into various markets or, or products which they haven't. Uh, in fact, they were rumored a lot a couple of years ago, last year, I think, uh, to be acquiring TikTok when 
then President Trump was essentially saying it has to pass into American ownership. It's really weird when you think about that because it's like, well, what's the synergies that you get out of TikTok and like an enterprise service software that you've never heard of before? Um, it goes to, I think, that they have a bunch of cash. They're a really well-regarded tech company, but they might not really know where they're going in the future, what their growth vehicle is. So I agree with you, Albert. I'm, I think, down on Oracle. But if you are looking for something to invest in, or if you are looking to invest in Oracle, rather, the thing that you should be looking out for is what could they be acquiring in the near future, next couple of years, um, that could set them on a different growth trajectory, because then I would um, be much keener on them. Mm. And, you know, I think they're in a really good spot, you know, despite slow revenue growth because they're such a cash machine um, to acquire anything either in stock or purely in cash um, to then buy Salesforce. You know, I was listening to, sort of buy Salesforce, sorry, buy another organization. You know, I was listening to a podcast last week and they were talking about how Microsoft almost bought Salesforce. Um, but, you know, when you have really large businesses like this who just generate so much free cash flow, um, it's just so easy for them to leverage that scale and buy other organizations, especially in the enterprise software business where those synergies, synergies are really easily realized. So, you know, in if there's anyone Oracle listening in the M&A or corporate development team, um, you guys should, you know, buy someone, <laughs> buy someone big. <laughs> Fresh capital podcast, perhaps. Throw, throw a sick valuation on us and um, we'll sign the dotted line. <laughs> All right, Albert, let's finish up there. Thank you for listening to Fresh Capital, a podcast about learning how companies operate and how investing works in a refreshingly simple way. Please support our podcast by rating it five stars on Apple iTunes, subscribe and follow. My mum was a recent listener to our last couple of episodes, Albert, so uh, she gave us the thumbs up and I hope you guys listening, you guys and gals rather listening at home all do so as well. Every follow and rating really helps us out. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to another episode of Fresh Capital. Every week, we provide a refreshingly simple way to learn how companies operate and how investing works. Just a reminder, all information contained in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional, financial, legal or tax advice. The hosts of Fresh Capital are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Any opinions expressed in the show are not recommendations or advice. Please consult a licensed financial professional before you jump in. As always, we look forward to seeing you next week. See ya!